This week's episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by avgearguy.com. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan or videotapes or audio tapes or film rolls that you need to import into your computer, check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name of this podcast, when you order, you'll get 5% off and a portion of your order will go to help support the rant room. All these formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All of your memories could be stored safely on the cloud or on a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AVGearGuy.com has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media, digital and analog, and they can accept orders from anywhere in the United States. Don't forget to mention the Screenwriter's Rant Room and get 5% off your order. For more details, visit their website at avgearguy.com. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, everybody? It, it is, is what it is. What it is. What it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> y'all know how we're doing on the Rant Room on the show. We discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting. I can't even speak today. Our focus <laughs> is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. So we got the team here today, Lisa Bolakaja. What it do, girl? Hey, just sitting here binging shows and trying to check out new content and just staying up late watching stuff and being mad when stuff doesn't have more than two seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to do a better job of like looking at stuff online and just checking to see how many seasons it has. Because when it's really good, I get just so disappointed when it's, there's only like one or two seasons. And then stuff that's really bad, it'll have like six or seven or eight seasons. And I'd be like, oh, Jesus. Oh, that's how it me, is, though. That's help how it me, is. Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Y'all good shit doesn't last. <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly. if it can. I don't know if it can. Although the so, new show everyone's been telling me about, they just dropped a third season today, so I'm finally going to check it out. It's called Dark. Yeah. The, dark, the, ger- the German show. Sure. So. I haven't seen it. I haven't so seen it. They were sending, somebody sent me a link to the webpage for the timeline. Like, there's different timelines and, I guess, all these different multiverses, how to keep up with all the characters. So I'm like, y'all got to send me a homework assignment before I even watch the show? I'm like... And how many seasons? And they were like, it just dropped the third season today. I'm like, yes. So I hope it's good. Because, yeah. Yeah, it's been bad. Because I've been going back watching stuff where I'm like, like I watched the first episode of, of Supernatural again. And this show has been on for 15 years. And just on the strength of the first episode, like I watched it years ago when it came out. And then I after did too, first, yeah. And after the first episode, I'm like, this ain't for me. Y'all ain't good enough for me. 
and I just ignored it, even though people kept saying, Lisa, this is your type of show. This is what you think you'd love. And I just thought, okay. And I think I jumped back in a couple years later when um, Sterling K. Brown was on it, who had like a, a four vampire art. But then once he was gone, I, I got bored. I was like, uh. And then I went back and watched the pilot again. And I read the pilot script. I'm just like, y'all just so basic with this shit. And this shit's <laughs> been on for 15 years. And I realized, oh, it's got this formula that works perfectly well for teen fandom. You know, two basic looking white boys, I guess they're cute to everybody else. They just like, okay, uh, I could pick up a rock in San Diego and throw it at my Rubio's and hit wow. the same two white dudes. <laughs> but you know, I live in Southern California, so that's the norm. You know what I mean? And to me, that's basic. Like, that's like, ugh. Yeah, we're, we're used to that. And everybody's like, they're like the hottest guys. And I'm just like, I where are you living? I don't see it. <laughs> But I respect people's choices to think what is cute, what is cute, you know? And I see I, I see why. <laughs> I try to give people grace. I'm trying to give people grace. But I see why the show is popular this long. But it's so basic to me. And it's like, uh, how, how and why is this lasting 15 years? And this is what the pilot brought to the table. Oh, God. Anyway, that's me. Hilarious. Then we got Chris Derrick in the house. What's going on, Chris? Well, you know, it's good news. Is he? Good news. Yeah, um, like that. So, you know, the... the, the Where are my 10%? The, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the personal essay I wrote on my police experience is going to get published shortly, probably next in the week to 10 days. So I'm excited about that. Pub, can, you say, can you say where? Uh, not yet, not yet. Okay. Soon. Okay. But, okay. You know, we will. What, okay. what's what's the premise? What's it about for people who so, don't know? So okay, so uh, basically, uh, I mean, look, I don't like to drive at night a lot because you can think. Well, no, here's the thing: because I can't see the police cars. Okay. That's why. That, that's why I don't like to see yeah, drive at night because I've had some really bad experiences with the police. I haven't been like physically abused, but I've been psychologically. Oh God! Yes, every and, time they pop up behind you. You know, yeah, they just creep up behind you because you can't you can't tell the black. One. You have to be very aware of the of the headlights. Right. And it's like who got time for that all the time? Right. Um, so I just kind of wrote <laughs> a, this 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 out of order kind of event thing that explains you know like you know the the, the events that I went through because 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 right now if I hear police sirens. And I'm in the car, I get a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, so, so I wrote that. Uh, some, I, I sent it to, I, I was telling someone about it, a showrunner. He, he read it. He fucking loved it. And he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to send this to like just to three or four friends of mine who are showrunners because, you know, I'm, I'm going to get you staffed on something. Um, so there's that. I, you know, I, I had a script in that thing called The Blackout Tuesday that, uh, was talked about a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, and I talked with one of the supervising producers on um, Bull and on uh, Snowfall, oh. and I had a great, great conversation with them. Great conversation with them. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited to have to, to, hook, to have hooked up Lisa with this potential manager, but yes. you know, for my own selfishness. Because I want to adapt that short story, like three voices, into 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 a movie. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I want to do. I'm excited about that opportunity. Um, 
so you know, uh, what else? What else? I watching a few movies. Um, I watched Queen and Slim again. Mm. Okay. Because when I when I first watched it, I watched it on a double bill after I watched Parasite, and it was kind of hard to really kind of like what like qualify that movie right. after watching Parasite. Yeah, um, listen, it's a big difference. Listen, yes. sure. Listen, say that. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> but, but watching it again, you know, with six months removed, um, you know, it's 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 more interesting than what I thought than, than, what, than what I originally gave it credit for. You know, right. Um, there's 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 a lot of interesting stuff in that movie. So, uh, what else? Have I watched anything else? I don't watch no TV. Uh, I just I just I I'm I'm actually so disenchanted with the television situation because all this stuff is coming out now just like like you know yesterday ron mccann's had that town hall on the on the number Were you on about, it yeah i was on it you know okay and, and it's like number one the wga is fucking cooking the books on that shit you know they're, they're, yep. they're saying there's parody or close to parody in and it's like nowhere near that it's no i mean if the like if you look at the you should say the money and the number of jobs should be 13% for black people. It's mm. nowhere near that. It's like 3 or 5%, you know? So it's just a bunch of bullshit that they're up here, like, like, like trying to look good. You know, once again, all these people are just virtue signaling. I- well, well, that's the, and that's the problem we had with the statement that we put out, the Dear Hollywood statement, was that, before we put it out, you know, they had to review it and they were like, oh, well, your numbers aren't right. We're like, what are you talking about? We got the numbers from UCLA and blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh, no, actually, there's, I'm like, they went up another seven or eight percent or something. And I was like, where'd you get that from? They're like, people of color. We're like, no, we said black. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? He said yes. black. Very clearly. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, uh, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? They, they, try to lump, they try to lump everybody in yeah. under the POC umbrella. And what's happening is they are very irked right now when we're getting the specificity of black people saying black. Like people are so scared to say black. I mean, they dragged poor Beyonce with her little her with her little class. Remember she did the class graduation thing and she's oh with people of color and black people are like, you could have just said black because the only people who get in heat right now, you know, are black people. Outside of Asian folks getting, you know, mm. all the stuff because of the corona. But like historically, just say black with your chest. <laughs> and let other people and let other people speak for themselves because we tired yeah. of caring everybody else. Just say black, and that's what we're talking that's about. That's exactly right. We're caring everyone because that's the thing that Ron was telling me. He was telling me that like, you know, 60, 60 some, sixty three, sixty four, five five percent of, of Asians are fucking working and have jobs and shit like that. And that's like mm. a disproportionately high number, considering there's so few of them in the guild. You know. Right. Right. Like it's it, it, it it's like the magnification on that is just like wow you know and and, it, and it's one of those things that makes you say oh so you know those who aren't working are the ones I, I, I'm not I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna say that I'm not, I'm not gonna make that statement I just feel like <laughs> yeah let's not make that <laughs> yeah I just feel like it's just I, you know a friend of mine on Twitter was like you know like. Uh, all these comic book companies are are trying to virtue signal and shit like that, and he, and he was like, you know what, I'm gonna put this down in the calendar six months from now, in a year from now, to check back in to see, you know, mm-hmm. who they've hired and what they've done, because right. that's all that you know. I I I, I honestly feel like that there's gonna be no change because right. Right. 
people are going to signal it and then six, oh, it takes years to get a project going, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then you're not going to see any change because why there's too much assault on, you know, these people in power and, you know, like they're kind of like, oh, 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 now, but there's no way to hold them accountable. No, there's really no, no way. way. And well, there's one way. Well, if, if we were still going to the movies, we didn't go to the movies. Or we just stopped watching the shows. You know, if we didn't do that, we would take away some shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, imagine, remember, what was it? What was it like on, on Black Tuesday? We stopped watching a lot of stuff. We stopped, we stopped going to stores for a minute. You know right. what I mean? There were like a lot of things that people stopped doing. I mean, I didn't do it because I, I actually learned that it actually wasn't a good thing to do, but that's a whole nother story. Um, um, and that once we do that, how much money they lose. So we actually have more power. Lisa, you talk about that all the time. Oh, God, yeah. Just stop doing some shit, you know, things will change. And a lot of people who were doing that Black Eye Tuesday, a lot of them were just going ahead and buying stuff from black vendors, like, you know, finding other places to buy their goods, you know, as opposed to, like, going to the big ones like Amazon. You know, the big, the the typical places we go to. And you're seeing all these companies that um, were doing all that stuff. So, anyway, let's get to it. So, um, let's go ahead and get into the show. If you guys are grown, let's jump in. So we got my man on here, my home team, my youngster. <laughs> Richard Scott, y'all, y'all heard him on the show probably half a dozen times. It's not more than that. Um, giving y'all his whole spiel on who he is. Um, he's one of my young writers who comes in and helps me in a lot of stuff. He's uh, awesome, super smart. Um, he's prolific. Shit's going to happen for him. So I, I wish nothing but the best for him. So what's up, Richard Scott, writer? <laughs> Yes. 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 <laughs> All that on a Sunday. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the kind words. Um, <laughs> thank you all for having me, uh, Chris, Lisa, Hilliard. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been a long morning. <laughs> most most mornings are long. I'm working uh, 14 to 17 hour days right now. Right. Um, even though I'm not being paid, um, it's just the grind don't stop. And it's just, it's... It's been you're three. Not, you're not being paid. Yeah, but I'm investing. Uh, there you go. There you yeah, go. There you go. The it language. Mm-hmm. It sucks having to think of it that way all the time. Like today's one of those mornings where you're like, oh, wow, I've been up since 730 studying stocks and movements and preparing for this week. <laughs> and, you know, working on an essay from submitting to for the Disney Fellowship and blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, okay, God. Can a brother get some ROI at some point? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's been it's been a solid four months of getting kicked in the teeth. So uh, that said, you know, I'm thankful for everything. I feel like this process has been something uh, that's helped me long term. Mm-hmm. Short term, it kind of sucks, but I, I, I know a lot of people are going through it. You know, sure. uh, that's why I think that's one reason why I really am even here to talk about it. Yeah, and and you know, I know that Chris and I have been in touch with you. You know, pretty much this whole time. Um, you know, that the Rona has been going on. But um, I just, I, one of the reasons I thought this is a great conversation to have, you know, a lot of writers out there are dealing with their own things. <clears throat> and, you know, I wanted to have you on, you know, to tell your story on what's been going on with you for the last couple of months and how you've, you know, overcome and still are in, <laughs> you know, a lot of shit. Yeah. Because yeah. writers don't quite understand, you know, it's already difficult. You magnetize, you know, other things with it that we'll get into and how do you survive that? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, definitely, well, definitely. Um, sorry, sorry, Chris. No, 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 no. So I just co-signed it off of Hilliard. So. Oh yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean it's true, and I, I don't. I can launch into the story. I don't know. Yeah. yeah um, essentially, when all this happened, um, I flew into San Jose when it was. Oh, so I was on a cruise ship when this first started happening. When Corona first became an issue, I was actually on a cruise ship. And are uh, you with moms, huh? Yeah, I was. On my, we were on a cruise ship, and then I had to fly to the airport uh, in February. So since February, my mind has been racing about this. Hmm. Um, I actually flew into San Jose when San Jose was the epicenter. Was sick three days later. Thought I had coronavirus. Uh, apparently, that was a cold. And then three days later, um, my job—I lost both of my jobs. Um, they just shut down all the bars and the industry, mm-hmm. um, and all my side hustles, of course, just dried up because. Right, right. So this is the beginning of March right now. Yeah, this right, is March. Right. Yeah, this is March. Right. Beginning right. of middle of March. Um, so uh, that all happened, and then the next week I lost my health insurance because I updated my employment. Um, unemployment didn't come through for weeks, so bills were just stacking up. And then, yeah. um, and then unfortunately, I woke up one morning and found out that my godmother slash aunt passed away immediately. Like it was, uh, and she's she was the first person to hold me. Uh, literally, other than the doctor, is my aunt. You know. Right. And so to lose her, it was devastating because my father walked out on our family when we were younger. My aunt kind of stepped in and filled that void for her side of the family, mm-hmm. side of the family, I should say. And so she was my only real connection to that side of the family until I met my sister. So, yeah, it was like that that lifeline is just cut. And um, I just remember being here in the isolation of it. Um, my roommate yeah. decided that he was moving out. And so he... Wow. He broke the lease on our apartment. And at that point, you know, it was just like I literally just moved in, I think, uh, March 10th. And he leaves April 10th, April 11th. So at that point, it's like, well, do I, what do I do? So I'm I'm looking at homelessness, joblessness, insurancelessness, and I've lost my family. (laughs) I can't even mourn with her because her body's been cremated within 24 hours of her death. Right. So it was just like one of those things where I, I, I just kept finding a new bottom, a new bottom, a new bottom. And, you know, I think the one thing that I'll say is that, praise God, writing, and I'm spiritual, and I don't force my, my religion on anybody. It's just for me personally. But writing, I feel like, was a gift from God because it really gave me a reason to get out of bed every day. It gave me something to look forward to creatively. And all the pain and the angst... Mm-hmm. In my real life only got amplified because the script that I thought was like my money script, the script that had gotten me meetings at, you know, different networks and producers. I basically had this EP reading. He just shit on it. And so then I sent it to another friend. My other friend was like, well, this was a great script two years ago. And then he shit on it. And Mm. so the script that I thought was like my heart and soul wasn't. So then creatively it was like, oh, fuck. Am I shit? Am I a shit writer too? <laughs> Every writer goes through this. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, we took yeah. yeah. So it was like my, my my personal life was falling apart, my creative life then started falling apart, and I just had a choice to make. And you know, I, I you know it's funny because I, there's a post I, I put up on Facebook talking about how like this is an opportunity. I was telling a lot of friends, like, this is an opportunity, God is testing people, like 
really like this is a chance for people to really see who they really are and we're going right. to find out who we really are right and god was like oh word you putting that out there we'll hold my beer uh, <laughs> I got gonna, some more shit for you. Man. I got some more bullshit for you. We gonna see. So um, I think for me, but you know what? At the end of the day, man, like I came out of this with two polished scripts. One that I'm sending out unabashedly that Hilliard has vouched for. The other one is something that I feel like people of color need to see, especially in the Black and Asian community. Um, and it's all about, it's about mental health and it's about going through shit. And I don't know if it gets better if I don't go through this process. You know, I don't know if those scripts improve. Um, I don't know if I have time to have a dope Bible thanks to Chris and Hilliard reading it and helping me with the physical aspects of it. I don't know if I have time to like grow my relationship with my mom and my sister uh, and to develop a relationship with a woman in a romantic fashion, in a real way, which is something I have never gone all the way through with. Well, when you were a pimp, you know I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, don't say that. Oh, oh shit. Welcome, welcome to Chris's world. See? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so then, and then I looked at the stock market. Don't bring me into anything. Yeah, and, and then I kept saying, you got to invest in yourself. And I looked at the well, stock market. Let, let me interrupt you right quick. Do you yeah. want to talk about getting sick? Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, just, I think that's important. I'm going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. No, done with the I, I, thought you were, I thought you were doing the stock now. I didn't know that was no, early. No, 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 no. So I got into the stock market and blah, 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 the wave of that. And so then I'm starting to come up and I'm seeing the light. And I'm like, okay, things will get better. And then May 23rd happens. Mm. May 23rd, my, my girlfriend has, you know, some physical ailments that uh, were registering with COVID symptoms. And so I was fine. So we got tests together, you know. And so then, come to find out, she didn't have it. I did, wow. and I was asymptomatic. Mm. Uh, and I had—I I literally driven back from San Jose for like five, six days, living life. And then I get the call: you've got COVID. Wow. And so the next few days was fine, honestly, chilling. Then it hit. It just hit. Um, fever, chill. Okay, I was about to ask you, like, what were your first symptoms? Yeah. yeah. Fevers, chills, muscle aches. Um, I'm literally teaching kids in a job interview in China, sweating, you know, on a, <laughs> trying to like hold back all the symptoms so they don't get afraid of me, you know, because I'm teaching them English. Right. And I'm just over here sweating bullets. Like I literally took my, my shirt off and it was wet. Wow. So I went through that for about three days and then recovered. And so it's like, cool. Like, you know what? Thank God I'm getting better. Mm -hmm. And then I'm laying in bed one day and all of a sudden my lungs started burning mm. and the burning intensifies mm. and the burning spreads. Now, during this time also, I had a deadline for WB and I had a deadline <laughs> for um, uh, uh, CBS. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, damn, I got to get this Atlanta spec done. And so I'm going through all these symptoms, but literally every morning, what got me out of bed was I got to get this script in. And mm. I'm sitting there like, at this point, just sick, isolated. At this point, I was isolated for about 12, 13 days. And I really was hopeless outside of it. Um, I was just like leaning on writing, leaning on God and scared as hell because You're I- You were alone. I was alone and I didn't want to risk anyone's health 
you know, and, I, and so it, unfortunately, it was like, I swear to you, like, after I sent sin on Atlanta, pressed sin on Atlanta, that's when it got really bad. Like, I, I pressed sin on the Atlanta script, and then I was like, okay, I can no longer just sit here. The CDC says I now, if it's like this, I need to go seek medical attention. Wow. So then I went to urgent care. Thank God. Um, I had saw two doctors and they both were like, you don't need to go to the ER as long as your breathing is okay. But he was like, they were, they were both like, stay out of the ER. <laughs> like, <laughs> whatever you do, stay out of the ER. But um, thankfully, yeah, like after that, I was on the upswing. And um, yeah, that was, that was about two weeks ago. So I'm no longer contagious. Um, the burning is still there in my lungs a little bit. Um, it flared up today. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so when you say it burns, what is it? What does it feel like? Like acid? What does it feel like? Uh, uh, yeah, like it feels like heartburn, but in your lungs hmm. and down your esophagus and like your sinuses. It's like, you know how like you inhale like a chemical, like a chemical burn. It's like having right. a chemical burn in your sinuses. Cause I don't you know chemicals, Richard, so I don't necessarily know that. Uh, <laughs> uh, experience. <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about drugs. Like, I clean. Like I use bleach. I use Lysol. So like I all the time. Like when I like I bleach my floors. Dead ass serious. I bleach my floors when I come home. Yeah. So like sometimes if I don't open the windows, I'll get like a chemical burn from inhaling yeah. bleach. I don't so, know. I'm just fucking with you. Oh, I know. I don't. I don't do coke. <laughs> 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 no, I, I mean, look, I mean, I remember when I was in, in college, I, uh, I got tear gassed. Ugh. This shit is no joke, man. Like the shit that the shit that gets in your respiratory system, whether it's these household cleaners or, or these man-made chemical like, like you know, deterrent things. That shit is not good. And just to feel that on a with, from nothing, essentially, just that the the virus is doing that to you. That must have been fucked up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. Um, I think, but I think, I think the hardest part was because I became a sideshow. Like I tried not to tell people because a lot of folks don't know someone personally. Right. So I told two or three people, and then boop, 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 people started Everybody texting started me. Started telling people. People, other people started telling people, "Oh, we praying for you, blah blah." blah. And I'm like, "Oh, Nick." Uh -huh. Really? They don't brought out the prayer warriors. Yeah. <laughs> they hold the space for you. Just like... At 3.28 in the morning, it was like, Jay, we're on the prayer line praying for you. And I was like, I appreciate it, mama, but I just went to bed at 1.45. So I wouldn't need you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so anyways, that's my story in brief. Um, but yeah, I think I think during this time, and for what I say to other writers, is um, don't stop. Be relentless. Um, I feel like a lot of friends in my, my group, you know, a lot of them did get laid off from their jobs. Um, a lot of them had to move out of the city. And I don't know if some of them are coming back, you know. Um, some people want to start families, they want to build a real life, and who knows what the industry is going to be like in the next six months. The thing, so, the, the thing that I was going to say, Rich, just listening to your story there, <clears throat> was that, is it Cuomo who got, who had the, 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 the corona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the news reporter? And um, 
um, he was talking about how what saved him through it was kind of what you're talking about. Like he knew he had to get back to work. He knew he had like the family. He so yeah. all these things were like causing him to get up out of the bed, even when he was burning and tired and all that, to walk down the stairs, you know, to do little things like to force himself. So it sounds like you having that Atlanta thing was actually the best thing, you know, the the script, because it forced you to have to get up. And even though you're still sitting there, <clears throat> still forced you to have to use, you know, your, your brain and to have to, to be active in some yeah. way. You Definitely. know what I mean? Definitely. And I think I think the cool thing about the experience was, you know, Atlanta's a hard show to write um, yes. tonally. Then looking at the page, you know, I think what happened during this process was I had to slow down. Um, I wasn't fully on game. And mm. so I had to really slow down and it gave me time to just sit. And I think um, oh my god, I forgot the episode. Teddy, the Teddy episode where Donald Glover is dressed up in like yes. all those white. Yes. That looks like Michael Jackson or something. Yeah. So, uh, Alligator Man, and my personal favorite episode of television this year, the Barbershop episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so good. I, okay, so first of all, can I just say I wholeheartedly empathize with Paperboy in that situation? Right. My barber, real quick, my first barber when I got out to LA, a black dude, super dope always came to me with some sketchy ass side hustle. And literally one day we were sitting there and he goes, hey Rich, what you doing the rest of the day? I'm like, I'm chilling. He was like, yo, can we cut your hair a little bit later? I'm like, uh, sure. He's like, all right, cool, hop in. So I ain't got shit oh, to do, shit. I'm a broke actor. And this nigga takes me on this just journey around LA. We wound up at a, a SoCal storage where this motherfucker is like battling with the manager to get a reduced rate. So then he goes, hey, Rich, so uh, hey, you got a credit card? And I'm like, wow. <laughs> and so this is <laughs> I've had these days. And so I think anyways, uh, I got to just slow down and read those episodes, get into the nooks and crannies. Mm -hmm. And hey, maybe I didn't knock it out of the park. Maybe I, maybe I got the first base, you know? Maybe no one calls me about the script. I don't care because I feel like I never thought Atlanta was a show that I could write or would write. You got to change yourself. I love that. Yeah, so. Well, yeah. see, uh, look, you know, there's this very famous quote that August Wilson says. It was like, you're only owed the work. You're not owed anything else. So as long as you get it done, you happy with it. You know, like like you just said, it's something, it's a, it's a, you checked yourself on, you know, you expanded your, Ability. I think something that is, I think, hard for uh, for a bunch of writers is to write outside of what you think you're good at. You know, because you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Mm -hmm. And and once you try it, you know, it's it, it goes back to that whole thing that Jeff Thorne always talks about. It's like you know, you got to know your swing mm -hmm. and. And the thing is, is that every batter can fucking improve his swing if you do the work. Yeah. And, and you got to try shit. You might have to change your stance a little bit. You might have to change your grip. Whatever it is, you know, so you can get the ball out to park. And, and it, I mean, because look, I met this woman the other day. You know, she's like a, I think some producer on Bull. But it's like she doesn't do any kind of, like, legal shit. She's not an attorney, nothing like that. But she mm -hmm. knew... There's one thing that she thought could make 
could be a contributor to that to that room. And she's on it now like three or four seasons. So it's like, you know, because yeah. sometimes your superpower works in other ways. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not simply, it's not but it's not something that she thought she could do it when they offered it to her. Right. Um so you just you just have to look at it as like to me, every opportunity to write something and finish it and and send it off is like that's that's the growth as a writer. You kinda right. make you me know? Richard you kind of inspire me, Richard, to kinda maybe, you know shoot my shot at writing just for just see if I can do it to write an Atlanta script because I love that show and one of the ideas I had because like you said it's not an easy show to write because every there's not like one they're like standalone episodes with a little they're, bit of they're, they're standalone episodes and they're almost like individual little separate seasons unto right. themselves just for one episode so there's not like one template you can follow like you know most shows you can you can watch like okay I got the rhythm pacing I know the I know how this works I know the act breaks Atlanta, anything goes. Any episode, anything can happen. Uh, Certain yeah. characters might not even be in the entire episode. Weird yeah. stuff happens. And there's been something I've been wanting to do for that show, but I just didn't know. I just don't know the show well enough in terms of what they're open to. But I've always wanted to do an episode where part of the characters are kind of animated. As in, <laughs> as, in how, as in the characters themselves appear animated while everybody else appears normal. But they appear the way their friends view them, not yep. how they see themselves. Oh, and I feel cool. like, and, and I they feel like, get away with that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And I feel like that's the type of show where you can kind of play with that kind of stuff, where it could be kind of fun and creative. Yeah. But I just never sure. thought that that show, like I, but but now that you said that, you just went ahead and just did it. Just you know what, I'm gonna do this. Definitely. And I feel like, you know, let me try because it's one of those, like you said, it's not an easy show to write for because just anything can happen. Yeah. And the characters are so, I just love, you know, most of the characters I love, but, you know, but the, I, I, I do, you know, a lot of them, I really just think that they're just so different and it's such a different type of show and a different way of viewing blackness, I guess, is the way of saying it. Mm -hmm. um, that, and I think that's a perfect venue in terms of that kind of creativity. So kudos to you, Richard, for for to, for writing an episode for that because that to me is like one of those shows where like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I, see, but I, I, don't, I don't know if you're right for the, that show. The, the thing about that show, though, but see, that is what I actually would love to write a spec on that. I only well, I've been watching over that show that we know the characters, but I the thing I hate about writing specs is I hate trying to figure out what the other, what the other what what the show is doing. Yeah, I hate what, that. Or where, where they're going. Yeah. No, no, no. What what the show was doing, like the rhythm, everything. Like, like I, 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 like when I watch stuff, I'm like, what would I do to be so different than what the fuck they're doing? So, you know, that's how I think. Yeah, you know, that's right. why. That's why I write my stuff my way, because because that's because uh, you want me to write a spec. I feel like there's a box that you're putting me in that that I don't know enough. I mean, look, there's a certain amount we get to do to get that and figure that out. But that's why Atlanta. Because it's so amorphous, it's like, oh, you just do what the fuck you want, you know? Just you got to plant the characters in there, but yeah, right, exactly. right, right, right. As long as the characters like match what you're doing, and that's, right. that's it's easier for me to figure out what the characters doing than get the show. Because I mean, I, I can figure the show, but that's I'm like, if I was on the show, I'd do this episode. Let's yeah. fucking break it this way. Let's mm. break it this way. Because to me, the best show, the best episodes of shows are the ones that don't follow the formula. Yeah, and you watch right. it, you're like, well, what the fuck? What the fuck are you gonna do with this? Because right. that keeps you kind of on edge as the viewer, you know. And that's right. I, I know that's like 
not what TV's about, but that's why, like, like Atlanta's a cool show. Yeah. What, I, what I did with this with Atlanta that I'm actually I, I'm proud of and hey if I executed it cool if I didn't who cares but uh, I think I, I, I talked to Hilliard about it and like Hilliard talks about like activating your stories you know like using the stories for your pitch when you pitch yourself and like right. taking those stories that like are so you that like no one else can replicate them and um, ultimately like the learning lesson and so for Atlanta I was thinking about like each of the characters, kind of like what Chris was talking about. And I, I loved Paperboy. I feel like Paperboy in season two almost became the lead character in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, he started having his own episodes a lot more, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, he, is, he is the lead character to me. Yeah, I mean, it, he's the, yeah. So for me, I just I sat down and asked myself a bunch of questions. And, and I, 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 once again, I, I consider this slowing down. I just asked questions. And I was like, what if, blah, 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 what if, blah, blah, blah. And then it hit me. I was like, what do I have in my own life where mm-hmm. I felt the way these guys feel? Like, there was an episode where Paperboy, he's just getting chased in the streets. And you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I got to fight his way out of force. I'm like, what have I ever felt that way? Mm-hmm. And then it hit me. And I was like, Russia. When mm-hmm. I lived in Russia, when I lived in Moscow as a black American man in Russia, I had never, ever felt so unsafe in my life. Right. And, you know, I took real stories. Like, there's a story where literally my friends and I, they say, whatever you do, do not leave the center of the city. You have no protection if you mm. leave the center of the city. And so, of course, what do we do? We get in a fucking... We're not even in Moscow, by the way. We live in Moscow. We're in St. Petersburg. So we're nine hours away from Moscow. We hop in a random SUV with some random Russians to go off on this party. And... Long story short, my friend Ian, one of the girls there, falls for him. They've never seen black people before, so like the women are getting a little <laughs> Everyone's high on some weird drug. No one knows is except for me because I'm sober. And <laughs> the beginnings of a horror movie, if I've exactly. ever heard one. Oh, so much worse. It's a so, Russian road trip. <laughs> so they kick us out of the party because they're about to fist fight and stab the fuck out of Ian because the dude's girl is ready. She is ready if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's high. At this point, we're just fighting to get out of the house. So we jump in the car and we just out. And we just in the countryside of St. Petersburg. And the dude driving his pits. He's like, fuck you Americans. This is what you do. You think you fucking run everything, blah, blah, blah. You know what? You need to see how we do here in Russia. And I'm like, oh shit. No. I'm he like, made a U-turn, didn't he? He like, made a right. Oh, shit. Okay. So I'm like, it's about to get real. Somebody about to fucking die. So it won't be me. So he's like, like, do you see that over there? That's Finland. What if we go to Finland right now? Huh? And I'm in my heart. My heart started pumping because I don't have my fucking passport. So I'm like, if I go to Finland, my visa disqualifies i'm locked in finland mm. so i'm like don't do that bro don't do that he's like so he starts swerving he's now drunk so of course what happens whoop, whoop. the russian <laughs> police pull us over this has to be the episode you wrote because this, this is the amazing. episode of Atlanta, guys so this is the episode it. and i was just like i literally went back to those stories and i thought of, and, and what i wrote from was that dread, that's that, that, that unknowing of what the fuck was going to happen next right, right, and right. the fear. And I was like putting those characters in that situation, their voices, and I was like looping all that in. And it's a huge deviation because the show is Atlanta. But right. my episode was, this is Russia. And mm. so 
for me, but of course it's justified because they're going on tour in Europe. So that's the whole right, reason why justified. Right, right, right. But um, but yeah, I wrote from that, and I wrote from that fear, that that yeah. fear, that that. And, and, and here's the greatest lesson I learned that day, guys. And please do not take this the wrong way because a lot of my BLM friends think I'm trying to, like, undercut the movement. And I'm not. All I'm doing is giving appreciation to our forefathers and foremothers and four trans folks who built shit for us. There was no civil rights movement in Russia. There was no suffrage movement in Russia. And that speaks for a majority of the globe. So when I touched down in America and they said, you have now landed in the United States, mm. as fucked as this country is, we live in a country where people have fought for us to have the right to now have a voice in protest. And over there, I learned a very valuable lesson. And I put this also in Atlanta because I wanted to help somebody who was in trouble. And my angel, the woman who's kind of like responsible for keeping us protected, she was like, where would you report this to? Where would you go for help? Where would you post this? And I told her, and she was like, maybe in America. You go to jail. This you is Russia. You go to jail, you disappear. Yeah. yeah, and she said, this is Russia. And so whenever I see protesters in the streets, whenever I see folks who are online just literally telling a cop <laughs> fucking to their face, right. as shitty as this is going to sound, I am so thankful to live in a country that lets that happen. Mm. And that's, that's the appreciation, not so much for America, but for the black folks who fought for millennia just to get us to this point. So right. I have two things. So, so, so I'm, lesson, I'm, for the lesson for the rest of the globe. <laughs> fight for your shit. Yeah, I've got yeah. fight for things, your shit. I got two things to say on that. It's gonna take a millennia, but you gotta do that work. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop hopping, stop so, hopping on our back. <laughs> so here's the thing. The a similar thing happened to me like when I was living in Germany, because <laughs> because at the time it was still divided, and we went to East Germany. And we were doing some dumb shits <laughs> at, at least he admitted it. I said we should steal a we should steal a flag off a building. Wow. <laughs> You're a rebel, huh? Who gets to get an East German flag, right? That's some wild ass shit because there's men with guard with gun with guns walking around. This is still the Cold War. Um wow. but it's like the thing, the thing I realize is, you know, there's women over there don't know. I don't think don't see black people. It's a very strange kind of thing. But the thing is that the thing is is that they're very aware of their history of oppression and what goes on, and they're not making like claims differently mm -hmm. in places in Europe, you know. And you know, whatever it is the the problem with the United States is we're in denial. Oh, about yeah. what really goes on. White yep. people are in denial about yeah. what's really going on. We don't teach it. They don't teach it. I mean, it's just, you know, like I was telling someone the other day, and I was listening to some of this shit yesterday about how black people are a lot of times treated in the, in the TV rooms and stuff like that. And, and, and I said, you know, I haven't worked a lot in corporate America. I've been freelancing for most of my adult life. But the times I, that I do go to a job is bullshit because 
It's essentially Jim Crow is still affected at, at, at the fucking workplace. Right. You can't say shit and they act like, well, you better be fucking grateful that you have a job, boy. Yeah. yeah. But, but see, I, I feel like the story you're telling, Richard, is so important because A, it's a great story. B, it's a great story for you. Yeah, you had well. to my that story. It's I was like, for hey, you to I'm, tell I'm, because here's here's the thing: if someone white tells that story, it's still good, but it's not great because you're black and you're like, we're gonna go to Finland right. or St. Petersburg, and there's no one black around to like, you know, to, to give me like like any pause at all. So it's like <laughs> it's a, there's a lot to that that's fascinating. Um, and the blackness yeah, and the blackness stands out. It's not like if you're a white person, like you could as long as you keep your mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. People will think whatever, but the moment you show up, it's like me and Europe with my family. The moment I show up, everybody know the jig is up. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh. Like, if I'm not there and the rest of my family's doing their thing, it's right. like, oh, yeah, okay, they must be, those must be the Italians from down south, south, south. Right. And then I come walking up, and it's like, they all look, and we all look alike, and it's like, oh, the black <laughs> Italians, that's a little different, a little nuance. And when you were telling your story, Richard, I could totally see Paperboy Totally see Paperboy. In, in the van. Like, I want to... I want to read that. I hope you got a line in there if they say something like, oh, well, you know, you Americans. I hope Paperboy, you have to say something like, okay, first of all, I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> so, there are levels to this shit. Like, I would be explaining that's myself because that's how I, I'm like, I don't know what those white folks, Americans do. <laughs> different. I, I, told, I can see your pain. And plus, I'm not the type to go stealing East European flags. You gonna find me at the bar or with the food? That's funny. So oh, yeah. that's don't right. go to don't go to Europe with Chris. You want to go to Europe with Lisa? No. Lisa. no. <laughs> look, look, look. Can I can I, can I tell you something? Chris will have you in a horror movie. I'll have, look, I'll have you. I'll look, have you. We got something. that flag. We were in East Berlin and brought it back to West Berlin. We thought we were gold. <laughs> but we forgot that we still had to go back through East Germany. Uh, you know, yeah. listen, and that's listen. when things got really dicey. People, yeah. Lisa will give you like a, you know, Amelie experience. <laughs> uh, Chris will give you that Chernobyl you experience. Damn. <laughs> Damn. I, I had a friend. I learned my lesson, man. We still what were you saying, Rich? One time, like in a small town, we're driving drunk. It just... And, and, and crashed it and walked away and you're like, well, you know. Again, uh, don't, don't go, go, go ahead, Richard. No, no, I was going to say, no, I get it. And Chris, Chris, you're a brave man. That's not me. I am um, dead ass serious. I literally, when I lived in Russia, I didn't even feel safe in my apartment, but I stayed in my apartment. Like, like uh, that. I stayed in my dorm room, which is about half the size of my bedroom. Like, dead ass. I was like, I'm not leaving. And the, all right, so then we didn't leave many times, but when we did, there was, and I put this in the Atlanta script. Um, I, I, I went to the grocery store one time, and have y'all seen The Dark Knight? Yeah. Okay, which I think is arguably the best superhero movie ever. I know we can argue about it, but other than Black Panther. But anyways, um, literally, I, I'm at the grocery store, and I'm getting some Krina Gruka, and I'm talking to my uh, Babushka Novaya, who works at the grocery store, and she's a Kazakh yeah, she was a Kazakh woman, and she was the first person to like see me as a human being, uh, the first wrestler. And I turn, and I'm smelling meat, you know, because their 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 standards of cleanliness aren't like ours. 
And I'm smelling meat. And I turn and I see this tall white Russian dude with freshly engraved Joker scars in his face. What? And I mean, like, I mean, like, have you ever seen human flesh just like out, like fresh and open and chill? Yeah, yeah, it's not pretty. I swear to God, I saw like the insides of his skin like healing and crusting over. And it was between the look and the smell of that and the smell of the meat. I've never, I'm a very strong stomached person. I vomited in my, 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 in my mouth a little bit. Wow. And I was like, I need to get the fuck out of this country. Because this nigga's just in a grocery store. Like, nothing happened. This nigga's got some chips in a coaster. I'm just trying to get some Coca-Cola and some chips. <laughs> and this man got meat hanging off his face. And I'm wow. like, what the fuck have I done? Like, this, I should have gone to Paris. <laughs> Clearly. Uh-huh. I don't but, see, but then Richard, see, here's the thing, Richard. But that was a life-changing but, experience. That's some good writing material. Richard, but here's the thing. But you told me when we met last year, or whenever when we first met, you were saying that you had been to Russia, and and you were saying some story about how you were getting kind of, like, profiled by, like, p- potentially the, the clandestine services and shit. Oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, yeah. That's you know, and, I'm, and, and I kept saying to myself, if this motherfucker don't write this script, <laughs> I'm gonna write it for him. Okay. My name on it. Uh, okay. I know what it's like to be black in Europe. That's you know, in, in, in in the white parts of Europe. Yeah. But so I'm just saying to you now, since you're feeling better and you've got no more deadlines, I d- look. There was a movie that came out in the uh, in the in the late the, the mid '80s. With Anthony Edwards, I want to say it was called Run, uh, mm. or Gotcha, or something gotcha. like that. Oh, when he was like the spy, and he the wasn't spy, really, yeah. yes, 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 yes. You classic. see this movie and say, how can I do this, but with my experiences, my way. Right. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like, he gets some, he's a regular cat who gets some, embroiled in some spy shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that happened. Tell me. That dead ass happened. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into details, but that dead ass happened. Um, yeah. Crazy. Richard, you brought up something that was very, very poignant. And I want to make sure we don't lose sight of that because I think so many <clears> people are <throat> going through it. You were talking about how everyone now, because the club pretty much is shut down and everyone's going through kind of self-revelation, self-reflection, um, the idea of, especially for writers who are creating content, how we're we're kind of discovering who we really are in a crisis, yeah. and how that's going to affect our writing. And you just brought up something like how some of us might not make it through. Like, might some of us might, because of the economics, might have to move places where we can't have those jobs, or our priorities have changed because we've lost loved ones, or our health has been affected. Um, can you just touch briefly in terms of? I don't know what, you know, going through the sickness and dealing with it and having all of this just kind of lay out once again, like, how are you able to really stay grounded and focused and really wanting to do this? Because I know a lot of people are going through it creatively. Mm-hmm. And I just want, what are some, like, tips? Yeah, what's keeping you from giving up? Yeah. yeah. I, I'll be very, very honest, guys. I have to be a success story. Um, that's it for me. And I, I made that promise to myself. I left a lot on the table back home. A lot. And I don't say this lightly. Like I would, I'm 33 years old right now. If I had stayed home, I would be 
I would be on a short list for gubernatorial candidates in the next six to eight years. And I don't say that lightly. Right. If I stayed home, I'd be a multimillionaire and I'd have a family I'd, and I would be a senator or something like that. Or I don't think I'd be happy necessarily, but all the trimmings of life that come with, you know, living that, that tried and true suit and tie formula, mm-hmm. I would have. More importantly, I... I know there are a lot of people who are counting on me to win, not so much because I'm supposed to help them out, but because mm-hmm. I was like, I've always been kind of like that, that, um, that tip, right? That tip of the iceberg, that tip of the pen. I've mm-hmm. always kind of been, I had a very long conversation with my mom, my girlfriend, but my sister, because I felt like people really never asked me how I'm, how I'm doing. Because I'm the warrior. I'm six foot, 230 pounds, and I've been equipped with a lot of knowledge. So for me, I'm typically the one who's physically or mentally on the front lines. That's been my life. And so I think for me, there are people who are counting on me to say, okay, Richard did it. And I I, I hate to say that in a selfish way or like a self-aggrandizing way. I'm not. But I think in my undergrad class, I'm the only person still pursuing the arts uh, my high school friend like from theater high school theater i think outside of like people doing community theater i think maybe there's one or two of us still pursuing this mm-hmm. even grad school the attrition rate from grad school of people it's it's still i would say about 40 percent, and that's from people who went and got an mfa and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on it so i think for me what motivates me to keep going is you know internally like i made this choice and I want to succeed. And I think that's the thing. Um, I, I, I set my mind to this and I don't want anything else necessarily. And um, I think that's what keeps me going. I don't know if that's healthy. My therapist and I have talked about it ad nauseum, but that's, that's, that's it. And then ultimately I think the core of it is I want to communicate messages like the ones I'm communicating today. And writing for me is the best avenue to do that. It's the avenue that allows me to do it, to reach the most people without me compromising who I am, which is essentially what happened in government politics. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. And now more than ever, we need voices of folk like me. I personally, and I'll say this, I was every ist, every ism you could be. I was homophobic, transphobic. I was racist. Um, um, everything. No way. Really? No, all of this, all of it, all of it. I was very, I was raised, the people who made me who I am, guys, are rich, upper middle class white men. And I don't say that braggingly, but like the people who put me on when I first got my start were like that. And I come from Southern Maryland, which is like, I like to call this the Mississippi of Maryland. Mm-hmm. So, from- that's, that's San Diego, the Mississippi of the West. <laughs> so I grew up, I grew up and I, and I went to a, a very, very Southern Baptist church, you know, so it's like I came in to college and I, I, I came into college with all these things in my mind and um, living in a house with a closeted African con, a first generation Muslim and a conservative white boy who was really a gay liberal. <laughs> in a black frat helped open up my mind. And so I realized there are a lot of brothers like me who are trapped uh, beneath toxic masculinity and trapped beneath a lot of shitty lessons we've been taught. Mm. And there are a lot of 
women, especially black women out here who they don't have a lot of support, <laughs> you know, in the real world. And I'm like, I, if I can help, I will uh, and help other douchebags like me not be douchebags and help other people. <laughs> <laughs> and if I can help other people who are not broken uh, or who are broken, help heal themselves, then I'll do that. And I think the best way for me to do that is through my art. So that's why I'm still here. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, Richard, we, I think there was a podcast that you were on before you were talking about this episode. And it's like, I, you know, I've done a lot of reading. You know, I, I'm a big history guy and I love reading about the, 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 the real kind of birth of like of 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 storytelling and the arts. You know, I mean, like I. I, I minored in Italian Renaissance art when I was in college. And it's like, you know, that's kind of like when the, the, the artist could become a, 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 a support himself as an artist. You know, you look at previous times, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. And I, and, and so I look at it as like, so there's a lot of uh, uh, historical record, histo you know, stories of the, the, the trouble and the sacrifices that one makes to tell their art because they're compelled to do it. And I don't know if a lot of people necessarily, and because America by and large kind of shits on the arts, it's not really our tradition here, but it's a tradition in other countries. You know, the artist is, is venerated in a lot of it's because the society recognizes the value that the artist gives to society. And, you know, I mean, also we're talking about like, like giving voices and, and shedding experiences to other people. Because a lot of times people go through shit and they think they're the only one. And then the minute you see that in a story, in a movie, in a play, or some feeling in a, in a song or something like that, or maybe it's depicted in a painting. Mm -hmm. And then there's this sense of like, I'm not alone. Yeah. I'm not alone in this world, and, and, and I thought I was. I have my exterior shell that lets me hang around with people, but when, when the door closes and I, and I go in my bedroom, it's like, this is how I am. And it's great for, I mean, that, what you're saying is like, how do we as people continue to self-motivate in terms of how difficult this, <clears throat> this industry is? And, you know, when you think about it, it's like it's, it's doubly difficult working in television if you're black because they just don't want to give you the time of day. And I've been telling Hilliard all year, it's like, I, I actually know it's easier to make a movie than it is to get on staff somewhere. To make, it's true. to make independent people don't believe that. It's they don't. So but true. It's, and the, the reason why is, and I'm certainly just to break it down, is you only need one person to say yes. Here's $100,000, a million dollars, here's $3 million, and you're off to the right. No, we're not talking about studio movies, by the way. We're talking right. about... No, 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 but, no, but you don't have to do a studio movie to make right. your movie. That's my you point. Know? And f I mean, fucking everybody who was on has not done a studio... F well, not everybody, but people you know... Well, look, at fine, look, at, look at Ryan Coogler, right? He fucking made Fruitville Station for $250,000. He got one person... You he believe got, that movie was made for $250,000? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he got some grants, so maybe a little more, I'm but sure. that was cash... You know, and maybe like like a hundred grand more. Mm. You know, but it's like okay, that's not a lot of money right. to to fucking get on. But that's almost like somebody's salary, like upper level person's right. salary, was yeah. like, like on a TV show, is that whole budget. 
and it's kind of like you're able to like design your own destiny, say what you want to say, not listen to the bullshit about you know you know I can't talk back to people when they're when they throw microaggressions at me and shit like that because you're making your own fucking movie. Yep. You know, and that's where people don't get it, and you know, so I respect what you're doing. I mean, look, I you know, like when I was 33 and I was out here still and I was doing this stuff, it, there, there was that breaking point where I was like, I, what, what's happening? And the yeah. worst thing about that for me is, it's sort of similar to you was, there was always this kind of thing with me where people thought that I had, there was great expectations for me that I never fulfilled. Right. You know, just like from going back when I was like fifth grade onwards, I remember this time where we had a parent-teacher conference and I brought in, and, and they were like, I don't understand what's up with your son Chris, because He's so X, and we expect him to be able to do Y, and he can do it, but he's not performing that hey, way. Hey, Chris, like in the measured shit. Yeah, I was just th- I was I was just thinking about something. <clears throat> when I was thirty three, it was probably two thousand twelve or three, two or three. You know what <laughs> I mean? Yesterday, and and I was just thinking about. I mean, I had just started writing like a year or two before then, like two thousand two thousand one. <clears throat> and I was thinking, and back then. I wasn't really focused on TV. I think most of us started in features, especially right. back then, because that, that was the shit. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so I was focusing more on movies at the time. And um, it's funny that when I think about that it didn't happen for me in TV until later, even if I would have got in then, I probably would have been just like a lot of the writers now that I know who got in on a show, they maybe had a season or two, and they haven't worked since 2003. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So how yeah. many people do we know at the Guild, Chris? Who so have many black people. So many have, black people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why is that? Is it just like being well, so, systemic? So, we haven't been moving up. There's two things that, two things, you know, there's an interesting article that Kirk Moore put out the other day in the LA Times. We'll put the link Shout out to Kirk. Hey, Kirk. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. I was supposed uh, to be in that. Um, it's it, it, like what, what happens is, is that black writer, t- like, like three things happen to black writers is that, uh, three or four is that if you get in, say through a, like one of these programs, the programs are really good at, at helping you get in the door, but they're not good at telling you what to do in the trenches. It's the yeah. retention that's and, the problem. And, you know, and, and so the retention rate is fucking terrible for black people if you go in as a diversity hire. Because yeah. everyone else feels... See, it's like white people have been taught that diversity hire is the same <clears throat> as affirmative action. And affirmative action has, has, has been told these are underqualified blacks who are, getting, who are taking places <clears throat> for white people. So they yeah. feel that you can't write if you're black and you got in that way. And then there, and and then black people are, are kind of accustomed not to asking white people for help. Mm-hmm. So they so they sit on those staffs and they're kind of like they're and they they they're stranded and they don't know how to get the right information on how to navigate the room the right way. And they're invariably going to make mistakes because everyone makes mistakes when they're uh, their first time in the room and stuff like that. Yeah, but we're not allowed to fail though. And, and, and when you already have that bias where Go the ahead. situation is where anybody else who's not, I'm just only speaking for black folk, where like, you know, I might need some help to do this. It becomes like, oh, they might look at me as not being able to do the job. Therefore, wish fulfillment, fulfilling whatever bias they have. Exactly. When, if it was, when it was just a regular hire, it's like, nah, it's like I'm new, but 
help me with this because I'm going to do it. But yeah. I just need a little help and assistant with this. And it kind of like a double edged sword where it's like, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. You know, and when you don't know, you don't ask because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to like draw attention to yourself being the black person. And then it's like, and then you don't ask. And then things, you know, opportunities pass by. And then some mediocre writer gets it <laughs> simply because yeah. you. Because they ask. Yeah, so they ask. And they weren't viewed as lacking. Yeah, they right. were viewed right. as a brand new writer who's like, exactly. hey, how do I do this? So, yeah. And I cite that. I, I that. I, I, I think for me, like I said, I grew up with, you know, white men helping me out. So I think that's one thing that I don't mind doing. And I'm very honest. Like, I, I think I'm overly honest. I'm too honest. I give TMI sometimes. <laughs> but, um, but I say to people, look, you know, I'm coming for real. Like, you know, I, 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 I met with someone at a general meeting with someone where I was like, look, I'm not going to lie to you. You ask me what I need. These are the two things I need. And I know it's cliche, but I need them. Now, the caveat I'll add is that I don't think we're there yet for me to ask, so I'm not asking, but just know as we grow and I prove myself to you, yes, that ask is coming. Right. And I know, I don't know what it's like to be in the writer's room and to feel that way, but I know for me, um, I look back at my experience working for the LG in Maryland with that staff, and that was a multicultural staff, still feeling that way, even with POCs. And, you know, non-binary folk and people who are all over the spectrum. I still remember feeling that because everyone there was trying to impress the white man. Right. You know, and, and so it's, it's like I found that I've, I've had to navigate those situations with people of color and when I'm the only person in the room. It's just, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so to continue, I said, but things happen to you is so if you come in that way, and then you're not showing the right kind of like whatever, well, then you're bounced. And if you're bounced off a show and you're not brought back, then the assumption is you're not good. Right. Boom. So that's a strike against you. You got, you got your one season and you might not work again. Mm -hmm. Or you actually take the damn plunge, figure out the right way to ask for help from the right people who seem to be generous on the staff they bring you back, you don't get the raise. And so, so you're back as staff writer. They're still able to pay for you from the, from the diversity budget. It's not a budget that is affecting the show. So therefore, um, you know, it, it, so they bring you back in no let, cost. Let me, let me bring up something, Chris. Here's, here's the problem, I think. We all have our jobs. You know, you get into a room, you have your number two, you have your mid, you know, your mid levels, you have your staff, you know, whatever. For me, if, if, if your co-EPs are too busy, then your mid levels should be responsible for you. That's the way your room should be. If I had my room, I would be making sure that, um, for example, Chris and I are working on this room right now, right? And you notice, Chris, I, I use you as a guise because I know you know what you're talking about. So where I can't explain something, I'll say, Chris, can you explain it to him in a better way, right, right. or another way? So you use your, your strengths in your room. And, and, and so I was telling the writers the other day, feel free to reach out to each other, you know, have them read through your scripts before you get to the point where I'm reading it, you know, or Chris is reading it, you know what I mean? Filter yourself through these people and use each other. 
you know, so that we're not reading your mediocre script. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can work your way through that. Where I'm going with all that is, in, in a room situation, your number twos or your mid-levels should be coming to your room going, hey, do you need anything? Hey, is everything okay? Do you have any questions? Or, hey, I heard how you pitched that. When you pitch it, maybe you should think about doing it like this. You know what I mean? They should be coming in your room on a, on a regular basis. It shouldn't be you responsible. It should be them. They're, yeah. the, they're, they're the mentors. They're the older writers. You know what I mean? That's my opinion. Question for you. Um, yeah. As someone who hopes to be the new writer in the room very soon, do you think, like, I personally am a big fan of, like, day one, day two, walking into the office of whoever my supervisor is and setting the tone. My name is Richard. I'm new. I don't want to be, like, every other, like, horror story from, like, the diversity programs. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be here. Like, please tell me what I'm doing wrong, and is it okay if we check in? You know, like, I... I think that's totally okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, see, see, here's the thing. If people, you know, look, I ask people that. I try to be that transparent. I don't let the ego of, you know, I mean, look, if I'm doing something wrong, I'd rather have you, t like, like, get on the table that I want that kind mm -hmm. of correction as opposed to me thinking I can do it all. And then when you correct me, because it hurts differently if you get corrected and you, and right. you think that you're, like, the shit, then if you said, hey, like you know help me out because i don't know because that way the person knows to talk to you in a way like oh well you told me i can do this so i've got that license to talk to you in a nice way whereas if whereas if, whereas if you go i'm already know everything and then you don't well then the person's like motherfucking that see i gotta cut you down to size now because there's, there's a level of weird arrogance that you do that you do subconsciously submit i mean like admit to people not not knowing it but that people see you not being humble in that way. And you let yeah. the, the humility save you right. from being, because look, we, look, we all have to feel, uh, uh, there's all things we don't know. And if someone can correct you the right way, you can feel comfortable about it or you cannot. Yeah. And, and that all has to be with the way that you have, have established that relationship with what, the communication is like, you know, um, you know, and so, you know, cause there's, I mean, I mean, look, there's like people, I, there's a, there's a weird thing in this whole business where you don't, or here and I talk about this all the fucking time is like how to give notes. But the mm -hmm. thing about giving notes is it's not just giving notes about your script. It could be giving notes about like how you're behaving how you're talking like mm -hmm. he was just saying like the, the 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 note on like 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 how to give the pitch you know like i, I was talking to people the other day like i was telling you this blackout thing and they were they were talking about the script i wrote and they wanted to know how i came up with it and, and they were like i don't know why you're not working because you're way better than you know like 10 people who we know who are like co-producers and stuff mm -hmm. like that exactly and, and it's true talking, we started talking it's to this, too, by the way Chris, you talking know to this stuff <laughs> And what they came up with was, and what they, re, what they and, and I told them a story about the etymology of my script, and they were like, is that something that, 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 that you lead with? 
in the meetings. Right. I go, no, it just came up now when you tell me. And they were like, lead with it. Right. Because that opens because that changes the conversation immediately about it, it, it brings them like into your world and what you want to talk about and, and what makes you different oh, like from jump. And it's not and that doesn't be drawn out of you. And I was like, okay, that's a great note for me. And it was also something great that like, you know, we were talking about the snowfall. She was like, she said, hey, did you know that Leonard was, Leonard Chang got, you know, uh, uh, recruited by the CIA? And I was like, I got recruited by the CIA. And, and they were like, well, does he know that? I was like, he actually doesn't know that. And they were like, people oh, yeah. know that. Exactly. They know that when they talk with you, you know. So I'm saying that's with you too, but you're like, that shit, when that shit happens, yeah. people find it. Because you know why? That's some movie shit. Exactly. That, that, Those are that, stories. It's Those a story. Sto- that's some movie shit that yeah. happened to you. That's like, that's Al Pacino coming on to fucking like the dude in the recruit, what the hell is his name? Colin Farrell. That's right. that shit, but it's your life. Yeah. You can speak to it on a way that will make it a lot more, you know, a lot more like, interesting than other people. I, I do so a lot like, how that happened, Chris, or no? Are you like sworn to secrecy because it is the CIA? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> what, what happened, I mean, Lisa what said she's sworn to hers. What I'll say is, <laughs> listen, because, black people are a suspect to me. If the CIA comes to recruit you, you suspect. <laughs> So now I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look at you differently now, Chris. Like, you should. Mm. Please mm. like not. Because when they try to use black people against other black you people, I'm like, mm. that's okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like, what what in your life gave him the thought like we want this Negro? Okay. it's stuff mm. I figured out. It's like okay, look, you know, before I graduated high school. I lived in two countries. I knew those languages. <laughs> I had been to like six other countries. And it was like, you know, and on top of that, I'm scoring like off the charts and some of these like standardized tests and stuff like that. And they're just like, you need to be working with us. We'll pay for your whole school, full ride, all this kind of shit like that. And I was wow. like, and I, and I was like, yes, but this is too Faustian for me. I don't know if I can deal with this shit because right. because you, you know because y'all coming at me and like as like in eleventh grade. I would have been like, I, I would have been, been like, dope I, as fuck. I would have been much? two words, two words. Mm. Patrice Lumumba, no, thank you. Exactly. But do you know how much? All right, let me not, let me not be ignorant here. But can I just say, could you imagine being the nigga in eleventh, twelfth grade? And other niggas talking about, hey, I'm the football team. You're like, a oh, word? I just uh, stayed fucking Ghana, nigga. How about Y'all stupid. Let me tell y'all a quick story. But I say that because that's something that I rarely talk about. I rarely talk about it. And they, they, were, like, they were like, you need to leave with that. And that was a note that, like, in my mind, it hurt because I was like, I don't. And I could have been in five meetings talking about this. And it could have changed my career because they were saying it's those little things that make them remember you. And even two or three years later, it's like, remember that guy we met with who did this, who was black? Because if you're black and the CIA is coming after you, they don't know anyone that that happened to. Uh-huh. So it was just, it was just, it, it helps them connect the dots sooner. You could have been a spook sitting by the door. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> um, um, you know what? Let me. And it's that it's that thing that so that's a note that I had to take and and swallow it and feel pain, but I accepted it. But this the thing that you have to do is like the you have to lean in on that too. Yeah, exactly. That's something I talk about all the time. 
Right. Yeah. It goes back to my thing about like, like you got to know how to give notes. And they gave me that note in right. a very, <clears throat> in a way that was so actionable for me. Right. That I was like, okay, I know how to do this. I mean, I fucking, I fucking went back and rewrote my, my, my bio because of this mm-hmm. time when we were down in Ecuador with my dad and these paramilitary motherfuckers. Were, so, I, I mean, look, that's the first <laughs> sentence. Boom, I love it. This is like, there's guns pointing at me. Yeah. You know, because that's like, well, like, who is this? You got to grab them. You got to grab them. So trip. Let me let me tell you guys a little something that happened this week. So they had the one-day showrunners program thing yesterday. So it's mainly for all the people who didn't get in the full six-weeks program. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and for, um, as we all know, uh, staffing is year-round now. So it's for coming into the fall, like getting those people then who sold the show later as opposed to earlier, Right. So anyway, so an email went out to me asking my advice of what to say to the group since our letter went out. And I'm like, well, did you read the letter first of all? Oh, yeah, we read the letter. I was like, okay. Well, why are you talking to me? So we get on the phone on Thursday and for like 45 minutes. And I was like, so I have a question. They're like, yeah, I said, do you want the Hollywood version, which is what well, Lisa always does, or do you want my hundred? My, you want me to keep it real? Okay. They're like, oh no, keep it real. I said, you sure? They were like, yeah. And I said, okay, let's get on the list. And I went in, Chris. I went in. I was like, here's the problem that you need to tell these showrunners: stop assuming that every black writer is inexperienced. Stop assuming we don't know. Right? I said, most of us come from the indie world, most of us. We have already shot shit. We've already produced shit. We've already, you know, we've already made movies, documentaries, all kinds of things. We're already co-producers. You know, that level when we get on your show. Our inexperience is being in the actual room. That's what we need to, to, to learn. You know what I mean? I said, stop assuming we don't know. You know, I said, give us that chance to, to I said, that said, the problem to me is you didn't interview them long enough. You didn't learn anything else about them to realize their background, that they actually have a ton of experience. You know, don't assume I'm inexperienced because I'm a staff writer. You know, assume I'm inexperienced because I told you I'm inexperienced. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you would have asked me enough questions, you would have learned, oh, my God, this dude has produced all these things. This person has done this. This person has done that. You know, I said, so it, take the time to interview them. I know you guys are in a rush to staff, and we all know the staff writer is the last person you hire, you know, but take the time. Give, give them another five minutes to learn a little bit more. So I, I learned that you were, were almost, you know, brought into the CIA. I learned that you went to, you know, to, to the Soviet Union, you know, years ago. I get a chance to learn more stuff about you. So I went down this whole list. They had a, two pages worth of information when I was done, <laughs> you know, that they were going to go in with. And I just went, I just was going in. I was like, and I was reminding them, I said, stop hiring one of us. Stop hiring one of us in the low level. You know, you need another upper level. You need somebody with a voice, you know? And I just, I mean, I, I laid it all out for everybody, you know? So how much they use, I have no idea. But I, I started by saying, I'm annoyed one of us isn't there to even tell you this information. So you guys have to go and be us and tell this information. And somebody might have a question that you can't freaking answer, you know? But you guys just assume you know because... You know that's your privilege. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's terrible because the th- you know, the, the thing is is that 
there's a guy that I know who got on a pretty prominent black show that was created by a white guy. I'm not going to name the show. Right. But he came on and it's a staff writer. And I was like, how did he get that job? And I went back and looked and he must have done like um, 40 uh, web, you know, uh, like a web series of 40 episodes. Right. You know, where he shot and wrote and produced all this shit. And it's like, He's like, like he probably has, you know, from the look of it, you know, 60, 70, like 80 set days. Wow. As a staff writer. That's crazy. You know, that, now what's crazy is I, I, I learned something the other day from there was that thing, the, the, the staffing in the time of COVID. Mm -hmm. People were talking and they had mentioned that uh, one of the ways that it's, this is fucked up, but one of the ways that you can accelerate your career as a staff writer to jump up is to fucking uh, shoot up, is to shoot, is direct a movie, direct a short film, you know? Yeah. And, you, you know, like, you know, because, that, because I was thinking about that because you know, I was like, oh, our, you know, our friend Denise, mm -hmm. you, you know, look, she was staff writer, I think, twice or yep. once. And she did that movie that you produced, mm -hmm. and now she's a co-producer on a big show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that's like that fast route. But it's like right. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, does she get, does she move that fast if she didn't do that movie that she directed that you produced? So and she can, sh she can show people that, right. you know, like, hey, like I understand the set completely. I fucking like did it, you know. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, okay, but but then are you? Saying that black writers had to be obligated to spend another, you know, 40, you know, whatever, 20, 30, 40, $40,000 just to get a damn uh, a promotion when, when that's, not, when that's not, not happening for white writers, mm. you know, like, like that's some more fucked up shit that goes on. Like, like what you just in this, this all goes back to what we were saying way back right. earlier about if you got on in 2003, 2004 as a writer, you know, on a show, is, that's your only job. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that Michelle's been talking a lot about as we're doing all these interviews. You know, we just did script notes and paper, paper team yesterday, and we're talking about how, you know, you have all those showrunners from back then and, and, and co-EPs and producers who aren't even working now, you know, on all those 90s black shows, you know, yeah. that we all know about, you know, the, who are qualified to run shows now. Right. You yeah. know, so what happened to them? You know, so that's the thing that we're that we're talking about. Because you are on a black show, you have no, they they don't take it seriously. You know, we all know what happened with Kelly. You know, Kelly Griffin and them. You know, what I mean, so it's just as difficult to have to learn and cross over again and re re um um uh, what do you call you where you recreate yourself again? You know, what yeah, I mean, yeah, recreate, yeah. yeah. You know, what I mean, so she had to like do all that again, even though she was running a show. Mm -hmm. You know, it's crazy how they don't think you're ready. It's not good enough. It's not it's not seen as a real show. Yeah. Go ahead, Rich. No, I was just going to say, unfortunately, that's I mean, all black people know this. You know, we have to do twice as much just to get the same opportunity. Um, I, I think about when I was uh, going out for an, an internship, and this internship changes people's lives as far as a notable showrunner. Right. And, you know, uh, the people who got in, they weren't sending scripts. They were just applying to be an assistant. And, you know, I, my resume at that point was pretty stout for, you know, an assistant job and every assistant job I've gone out for. 
And, um, you know, I was literally sitting in an interview and the guy was like, yeah, I'm looking for someone who is smart, someone who can write, someone who understands like the inner working, someone who understands an office, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, did you, did you even read my resume? And I, and exactly. I, because it's like you, I was like, how much smarter do I need to be? You know, I went to the same school that the person you hired and told me about the job went to. You know, like I, my dad, yeah, I worked in politics, so I, so I under, I, I look, I worked in real politics, so I understand the bullshit politics that are going on here. But I think, <laughs> I think for me, that was like the hammer being dropped on me in that moment, where it was like, oh, I get it, like this isn't a meritocracy, you know. And this is what one thing I want to say: Hollywood is not a meritocracy. Never, never. Uh, there are so many barriers and false statements and ways for people to wiggle out of shit and it's it's for me it's a very cowardly industry it's a lot of bitches out here and i use that term (laughs) that's real talk i don't care lisa said that before yes 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 all the flaws from high school all Uh, the things that happened to them in high school and they're using their jobs to now get all the dick all the vagina all the clout all the shit that they didn't get when they were 14 15 years old yeah chris and it's <laughs> mad and let me say this to a lot of young writers right now out there because i go through it now there are a lot of writers who are not as good as you who are working and hey, i talked to, to, talk to a, a mentor and he was like richard you are on your way to being an a plus and uh, a plus employer, right? An A plus employer, if they're smart, will hire their number two and have an A plus number two understanding that that number two will grow to a point where they leave. Right. And then if you hire an A plus number two, they'll hire an A plus number three and so on and so forth. But if you are someone who's not as confident and you are highly talented, let's say you're an A, but your ego is your thing, right? That's your fatal flaw then you're going to want to protect that ego. So you're going to hire a B plus player. And typically that B plus player is going to have the same set of flaws. So they're going to hire a B player and it goes on so on and so forth. So you get down to the chain and you look and you're like, why are all these mediocre with all due respect C plus if we're lucky white folk beating out all these A plus people of color. Mm -hmm. And it's all because y'all don't have the nuts to hire us because you already know. You already know when you compare resumes, when you compare scripts, we coming for that ass. And so that's what I tell to a lot of young writers out there. Like, you will get your shot. Find your A+. And that's why I'm so thankful for y'all, because y'all are A+. And y'all aren't afraid to put people on. And there are a lot of black folk who are the same, too. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't, it's, 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 not, it's a human thing. It's not a race thing. It just happens that white people hold the power in this industry. Correct. Right. So, so that's my big thing. So, all the young writers out there, like, keep going, like, and and and, you know, that next job that you thought was the most amazing ever probably wasn't. Uh, no, just- look, look, look it's, it's, it, well, this this is why you know why because there's a show you want, that you fucking want, you die for, every year. You know, mm-hmm. there's a new one every that's year. That's you rather you for die or to be on. Yeah. A new new show that no one done, so there's always new shit being made. I mean, look, but but to go to your point, Richard, it's like the thing I say, you know, about when I do, when I'm directing. It's like like my ideal spot would be 
I'm the least experienced person on the set mm -hmm. because it's like that allows me to make the mistakes and not be so like and, and not be blackballed for it. Because if you make the mistake, but you're saying, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. I need your help. Mm -hmm. Then I mean, that's fine. That's totally fine because I, because, because I, a lot of times the filmmaker and the same with the showrunner, if you're smart about it, you fucking need to see other ideas to then decide, oh, I need to go this direction. Right. You know, it's like, cause you, cause you're going to get stuck and you have to have the control of your own ego to recognize that and not feel threatened when other people know more than you or have a better experience than you. Because at the, it's like I tell people all the time when you're making a movie, the end of the day, it's gonna say directed by Chris Derrick on it. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so I, I can't be protective of of anything like ah I don't want your idea blah, 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 or or not show you shit because it doesn't matter. Yep. You know, if I show the costume designer gives me the greatest idea to do X Y and Z, cool, I'm gonna use it. This is not gonna the, her name will not supplant my name. Yep. Same with the, same with the showrunner. You've hired the best people if they give you the ideas that. Are always better than yours. Still gonna say created by you, and and, and you're the final executive producer credit, yeah. and you're getting all the money and the damn profits. They're not. <laughs> Don't be a bitch about it. It's real. Don't be like you know. But the fear and the ego and you know the old like you said the the Scott Rudin line like like Hollywood is high school with money kind of thing. Yeah. It just like it just like rolls to no and and, and I think you said there with the meritocracy. I think people are so conditioned to believe that is true everywhere and it's true nowhere it's not even true in school <laughs> uh but 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 they they have to have you believe that the reason why i say that i was talking to somebody the other day i was like you know why this is bullshit because because i take harvard right because harvard sets us we don't know anybody who went to harvard i don't know what you're talking about no but i'm saying but think about it right like, but harvard sets I'm aside <laughs> students Certain number of spots every year for fucking the children of alumni. Right. If it was a true meritocracy, they wouldn't do that. Yeah. Because the best people would say, those kids of the donor who gave us $5 million, tell me after that building, he's a dumbass. He ain't coming in. But he's getting <laughs> in because his dad's name is on the building. Right. You yeah. know? And, and, and that in itself just undercuts it immediately. And, and that's why, to be honest with you guys, I thought about my life and where I'm at. And I'm not being brought, I don't think I'm being brought back to one job, one of my bar jobs. And I, I know I'm not being brought back to the other. And I was the only black person there at one place. And at the other place, uh, my boss literally has said nigger with a hard R in my face. <laughs> what? He, was, he was referencing a news article. He was referencing a news article. Richard, did you hear, and he literally says this, Richard, did you hear about, he's a general manager, by the way. Richard, did you hear about uh, that, that reporter in wherever the fuck? Yeah, she just said in these niggers. On live broadcasts, and I was like, "What?" Wow! And he was like, oh. uh, "And he so he's like, oh no, she literally said, oh, and back to the niggers." And I was like, "Okay, so that what wasn't in reference to the story you were telling, right. was right. what <laughs> to the fact that you said this word so openly to me?" Right. So, anyways, I, I was calling this conundrum where I'm like, "Do I tell his boss, who was like his daddy, and do I tell HR?" Mm -hmm. I can't. I don't have a job. Now, thankfully, Corona came and it shut down everything three days later because that would have ruined the opportunity. Now, I'm not being brought back, but for me in that moment, I was like, it's clear. Like, this, 
this, I'm clearly arguably the best bartender. The other black bartender, we're clearly the best two bartenders here. It's not even a game at this point. Right. But you guys are hiring back who you want based on systemic racism. And when he said that to me so blatantly, so cavalierly, <laughs> I knew at that point his mindset. You know, and I feel like that, to be honest, there's a lot of, it's just not cool to say that in Hollywood, but a lot of people have those thoughts. Oh, God, yeah. They just, they're just blanketing it with, you know, we support everyone. We love everyone. Um, he yeah. could have easily said, she said the N-word straight through. Like, he could no, have yeah, easily said right. that. He, he said nay yeah. her. Like, he I would like hard to be hard right now. Yeah. Okay. Right. I wish. So. Because it's funny, Rich. I would have said, did she say uh or uh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. But the worst part was their guests, white people guests who saw it. They said nothing. They wow. said they were all just quiet. And I was like, oh, so I'm on my own. Bet. Cool. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is I, in that moment, I was like, I don't want to work nowhere like that. And so I'm happy I'm not going back. And so that made me shift my focus into the stock market. And I won't talk about that at nauseum, but I will say what I think black folks specifically need to do is there needs to be a shift in our thinking. Mm-hmm. And I love what we did with Blackout, right? The Blackout Friday. What I, and I'm posting this on Facebook, so please, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. But what I want black folk to do is consolidate your resources. Like, people who are listening right now, like, tell don't, them, tell don't go on any, especially the young writers, right? You're like, I'm so fucking broke. You're fucking broke. Yes. Stop spending money on DoorDash. Stop spending money on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Use writer duet. Don't fucking, you know, use the free version of some shit for a while. Mm-hmm. And take $150. So say $150-$200 and put your money in the stock market like these white people do. Because the biggest issue between writers of color and white writers that I've seen mm-hmm. is there are a lot of white writers who get to live with their mommy and daddy. They get to work 20 hours a week, maybe. I'm not saying white people aren't, aren't there, out there struggling because they are. But a lot of people I know who have blown the fuck up, they are sitting on money. So mm. they have the free access of mind to go to these otherworldly places to create this art. Whereas we are just tired from trying to pay our fucking rent. So what I want black artists to start doing is, and disenfranchised artists, because I'm being inclusive on this bit, we need to take the economy back. We do need to take the stock market back. Black people are literally the backbone of the American economy. We are. And it is time. We make everything popular. Everything. We, it is time that we reclaim it. But it's time that we consolidate our resources, we consolidate our buying power, and we target our investments into the stock market. We make this money for Stop us. Stop banging, please. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I, and I think that's what hit me. You know, it's like, I don't. So I, that's what hit me. Like, I want to be free financially so that I can just sit down. And think about how do I make Atlanta really cool? Exactly, yeah. And so, anyway, that's all I got to say on that. Yeah, no, that's what's up. I like that. That was actually a good place to, to end this episode. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. deep. You gave, you gave him some bars on that one. Any last thing you want to say, Lisa, Lisa, Colt Jam? No, just going to, in a few minutes, I got to jump on to another writer call. So, on Skype. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, you know, just keep pushing people. And, um, like, I don't really know what to say. I mean, it, we're still in the land of the, 
upside down. I mean, every yeah. day it's something new. And I, at this point now, I really don't even know what, how things are going to be. I mean, I know I see movie theaters talking about opening. I see a lot of movies that were supposed to be in theaters are being pushed back again. Um, we're still just kind of up in the air, but you know, for those of you who are still able to write, you know, continue to do so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know? What's up, you, Chris? You said Chris or Rich? I said, what about you, Chris? I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I mean, look, everyone needs to like just just stay inside. This motherfucker Trump has, has played the the country with the, the whole <laughs> Corona thing. People still getting more and more sick. They're gonna die. Well, I guess they're gonna die. Um, but <laughs> that's his attitude. That's his attitude. Yeah. So you know, I mean, but you know, I mean, look, I'm, I I got some work to do. I got some pictures I'm trying to set up. I got some uh, 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 just some. I'm, I mean, look, I'm just trying to stay busy while I can because mm-hmm. they're unfortunate. I mean, there's business still happening in Hollywood. It's not they're not shooting anything, but they're still looking for shit because they're right. always looking for shit. Right. right. And right. so there's no reason not to try to like you know to keep the to sit out like mm-hmm. hoping something's gonna change when in reality it's only gonna come back like incrementally production and you know I'm trying to get into that spot where I can be part of that 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 kind of that production that's gonna go on what just briefly you know I got this great project that I I don't need actors. For a, for a long period of time, you know, a week at the most for each, you know, mm-hmm. each kind of type of thing. So I feel like that's the kind of thing where I could take advantage of where we are. Yeah, you keep the budget way down like that. Budget yeah. way down, you know, yeah. it's just like, oh, I need you for five days or whatever it is. And then I, I can get someone big, <clears> no time. And they're not going to feel so stressed out, you know. I'm like, right. oh, well, you know, I fit this in kind of thing. So I, and I'm just like, I'm going to take advantage of all that. It's just, you know, there's a book i read a long time ago called shock doctrine mm-hmm. uh it's all about you know like how like how people take advantage of calamities mm. governments usually and businesses big businesses yeah. but yeah. i'm like people need to do that shit too why not you what's know, the name it's called shock doctrine written by uh naomi klein n-a-o-m-i klein k-l-e-i-n There it is. Okay. Cool. Um, <clears throat> am I your host? Uh, well, I need y'all didn't say where y'all was at. Where y'all motherfuckers at? Where you at, Rich? Me? Yes. Oh, uh, I'm back on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, I think my Twitter is at We Are Richie. Instagram's Richard.Scott.94. You can find me on Facebook. Um, just type Richard Scott plus Harvard. I'm sorry. That's the only way you'll find me. Just look for a green shield that says Everton. It's a failed TV show. Uh, that is, yeah, but hey, I love the image, so there you yeah. <laughs> Where are you at, Chris? Uh, uh, I'm at unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. All right, Lisa, Lisa, call Jam. Um, I'm on uh, what fresh hell is this on Twitter <laughs> and, and what fresh hell is this Lisa on IG. <laughs> even, though I don't, even though I don't post anything on IG, really, I just kind of follow people and be nosy. Yeah, you ain't never. You ain't got no photos on there, do you? I just go and watch everybody else. Zero <laughs> posts. Zero <laughs> posts. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. 
follow the show. Screenwriters are, are on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, whatever you listen to, Google Play. We're everywhere. Follow the show. Share the show. Um, submit to the show. What do they call it? Subscribe, all that shit. Yeah. You can follow us also. Where, Chris? On uh, screenwritersrr.com. That is our website. That's where you can listen to the show if you're, if you're lazy. Uh, and you can order <laughs> t-shirts and you can ask us questions there too. So, uh, and there's, you know, some additional content not discussed on the podcast on the, on the, on the website. So there you go. <laughs> you can subscribe <laughs> Patreon as well. There's a yes. Patreon page on the website. Uh, it's right there in the front. There's, it's all, it's all over the website. So you cannot miss subscribing to Patreon. No, not at all. If you go to the website. Yeah, we could use that help. For yes. sure. We appreciate it. Particularly um, now, motherfuckers are starving. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we appreciate everybody who listens to the show. Um, we got to do a Q&A episode coming up, so start sending those questions in. Um, we have to do one of those for sure. Um, <clears throat> let me see. Um, a lot of shit going on. I'm actually here in Phoenix right now um, at my mom and dad's house, hanging with them for I leave tomorrow morning, heading back. I've been here since Wednesday. It's been nice just kind of getting away for a couple of days, hanging with them. Of course, I got a book to read. I have to adapt into a pitch. So, you know me. I always got shit to do. I'm only on page like 60 out of 286 pages. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure it out. But I, but I figured out my tie-in, though. That was the important thing. Mm. I figured out what my tie-in is to the story before I start pitching the script. There you go. That's, that what, was you it. That's what you need. Yeah. Once I did that, I got excited about it. So anyway, um, so anyway, we appreciate everybody who listens to the show. Um, y'all know how to follow us and all that other stuff. Everybody joining with me. You guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? It, it is what it is. What it what is. It is. Peace, y'all. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Rant Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.